0: Hi everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're going into our archives and the show you're about to hear was first broadcast on March the 16th back in 2015. Hope you enjoy it.
1: It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I better get it out of the safe now.
0: Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. Hi, this is Bob Bro. I'm going to be your host here for the next couple of hours. Glad to have you on board. My voice has uh, been a little scratchy, just got over a cold, so I'm going to kind of keep my talking down to a minimum tonight. But we're glad to have you along. we got a great show lined up. We have an episode of uh, Tales of the Texas Rangers. We have an episode of R. Miss Brooks. We're going to visit... Dodge City, Kansas on Gunsmoke. Now we're going to end things up with another winter story by Gene Shepard. Great lineup tonight. Make yourselves comfortable because we're going to get started in just a minute. Yeah, glad to have you all all on board this week. Spring is in the air, is it not? You know, last time when I recorded this, I, I said we were expecting seven inches of snow, I think it was. We had had one of the coldest days of the year. I'm recording this on Sunday, the 14th of uh, March. No, the 15th of March, excuse me. Sunday, the 15th of March. Tomorrow in St. Louis supposed to be 80 degrees. Can you imagine? It's that time of year, and we've had some rain. All the snow is gone. Spring is in the air, folks. Starting to see little daffodils popping up, little crocuses here and there. A uh, few buds on the trees. Not too much of that, but probably in the next week or so we'll have that. So, Robins. Can hear the robins. Notice the squirrels chasing each other. That must be a mating ritual. I know that uh, spring is the time where they have their babies. I don't know what the gestation period of a squirrel is. <laughs> if the little females got pregnant before or during the winter or if that's happening now. But uh, as I'm sitting here now looking out my uh, studio window, I can see a couple of squirrels chasing each other. And they're, they're probably both wanting to get caught, huh? Well, welcome along. We're, we, like I said, we've got a good lineup tonight. My, my voice is uh, you'll kind of hear it going in and out all night, so I'm going to keep the talk to the minimum, and we're going to get started right now with a show from the Great State of Texas. We're going to get things started off with an episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers. This one originally was broadcast on NBC back on the 26th of August in 1950. It features Joel McRae as the Texas Ranger, Jace Pearson, and uh, tonight's cast, well, it's pretty extensive, but among others, it has Tony Barrett and Tom Tully. Of course, this was produced and directed by Stacey Keach Sr., not the Stacy Keach most of us are familiar with, but his dad, Stacy Keach Sr. So here we go: Tales of the Texas Rangers, from August 26, 1950. The name of this one is "The Open Range," and it's about cattle rustling. Here it comes.
3: Wheaties present Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. <laughs> On stage tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. Now, from the files of the Texas Rangers, come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Tonight's case the Open Range.
2: August 4th, 1948. Maury Buckler and his son Dave are driving across their ranch in a jeep, dropping off salt cakes for their cattle. Well,
4: How's the last stop, Pa? Yeah. Well, drop this one here.
5: What's the matter, Pa? Well,
4: the last salt cake we dropped here is
6: hardly touched. Look at it.
5: Huh? Why, yeah. No point
4: in leaving another one. There's usually quite a few head around here. Wonder why they're not touching it. Suppose somebody could be running them off. (laughs) Rustlers, Pa? That's kind
7: of out of date, I'd say. (laughs) I say, uh, maybe there's a break in the fence down by the old road. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, you better drive around the cottonwoods and have a look. There's a break. We can fix her right now. I'll have to go back and get horses, though, if we're going to pick up the strays. Yeah. We'll be able to see the fence now as soon as we get over this rise. Hey, pa. Hmm? pa, a big truck down there and a bunch of men with some of our stock. So that's what's been happening to him. Speed it up. I'll get my rifle back here. They see us coming. You fellas
8: better stay right where you are. Oh, uh. Uh, Dave.
4: Dave. oh. I'll get you for this.
8: Back. Pa! 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 Come back, pa! Pa! Oh, pa! Pa! Pa!
9: Come on. Well, let me open. Oh, my... Oh, my. Oh,
8: my.
2: Buckler managed to drag his father to the jeep and drive to the nearest hospital, but the father was dead on arrival. Sheriff Clyde Johnson immediately called the Texas Rangers, and Ranger Jace Pearson was
10: assigned to the case. What are you looking for, Ranger? I thought we'd find some truck tire markings here, Sheriff. Ground's plenty hard, except for the dust settled on top. That'd hold a track, but... Hey, look. Hmm, just a big, wide mark. Yeah. Probably some brush hung from the tailgate of the truck. Wiped the tread right out behind them. Let's go through the fence. Yeah.
6: Must have been operating right about here. Yeah. Plenty of
10: cattle tracks, but no boot prints.
6: We wiped out their tracks like they did with the truck.
10: Smart. Probably dragged branches behind them. You can see where they were here, though back of crumbs and paper where they ground out their cigarettes. Yeah. Looks like 15 or 20 head they run off from the marks. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to the car for a second. Uh, how do the bucklers brand their herd? Oh, just a simple letter L. Buckler's wife's name was Lou. Do you know if their brand has been registered? I don't believe it ever was, Ranger. Why? i to make a radio call to KTXA in Austin. Unit 10 to KTXA. Unit 10 to KTXA.
2: KTXA to Unit 10. Go ahead, Unit
10: 10. Unit 10 requests headquarters to ask all commission houses to be on lookout for marketing of any cattle carrying letter L brand or any altered brand that might have been made to cover letter L.
2: Will do, Unit 10.
10: May be part of stock stolen from Buckler Ranch on 8-4. Notify Unit 10 if any lead turns up. Unit 10, 10 10-4.
2: We'll keep you in a tenant
4: form, KDXA
10: Austin. Good idea, that call. Might get a lead. Yeah. When we get through here, I want to go into the hospital and see Dave Buckler. He might just be able to describe the... Hey, wait. Hmm? What do you got? Old whole cigarette lying right here near this bush. And scorched. Somebody started to light it but didn't finish. Yeah. That's a matchbook lying in the bush. Whatever happened and made a fella forget about his cigarette. Must have been when the bucklers came over the hill. Feller saw him, threw the cigarette and matches down just so he was getting ready to light up. Yeah, that could be all right. Half the matches are still in the book. Ones that are missing are all torn off from the left side of the book. So? So the man who had this book of matches is left-handed. Let's get into the hospital. <laughs>
1: Ranger,
7: I'm right-handed, so was Pa. Matches couldn't have been ours.
10: Just making sure. Can you describe any of the stock they made off with, Buckler?
7: Well, yeah. Most of them were white-faced. But there was one of the calves that had a mottled face. Mottled, huh? Yeah. Good. That helps. My Pa was such a good guy, Ranger.
11: I wish I could climb out of here and help you find those dirty...
10: Can you give me any kind of a description of the men? No. No never got a good look at him. A couple of days went by, then a week. There was no sign of the buckler cattle with the L brand. I went back to headquarters to see Captain Stinson.
12: Ah, uh, no sign of those cattle, huh? Not ahead, Captain. Well, they might be afraid to unload them so soon after a killing.
10: That means they'd have to vendor or alter the brands and put them out to graze. I don't think they'd want to be too close to
12: them for fear of being spotted. Neither do I, Jace. That's why I've got an idea. Ever think of trying Camp Hood? No, but I should have. It's a
10: perfect spot for them. 35 square miles of free grazing land.
12: Yeah. Ever since the army deactivated the camp, a lot of ranchers have been using it. Our last check showed 15,000 head there. All kinds of brands. Fattening up until the owners cut them out for marketing.
10: Sure. And Buckler's cattle with altered brands covering that L could be waiting there for the thief to come back and get
12: them whenever he wants. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's a lot of territory and a lot of cattle for one man to cover. I'm going to have Bud Kurtz come in and go with you. Kurtz? Fine. The commission houses are still on the alert. We got them stopped on the selling end. Now it's up to you to find those cattle. They're the only key to the killer.
10: Bud Kurtz and I drove to Camp Hood, unloaded our horses and started to check the open range. In three days, we ran across more than 50 brands, all legitimate. But on the fourth day... Cow folks are pretty busy, Kurtz. Yeah, cutting out a few calves over there. There's a branding fire and two men. You see us coming. Keep your eyes peeled. They may be all right, but if they aren't, one of them may throw a gun. Oh, boy.
8: Yeah. Howdy,
10: Rangers. Howdy.
4: You can let that one go, Pete.
10: No, hold him for a minute. What's the matter, Ranger? Let me frisk you. I'll
4: get this fella. Why? What's wrong, Ranger? I ain't got no gun. Just checking out. What's your brand? Nothing on this fella, Jay. Well, there's the iron right there. J in the center of a box, huh? Yeah. My name's Jack Stern. Got a ranch up in Box Canyon. Brand's supposed to be Jack in the Box. What are you doing with this stock? Well, changing over to my brand. From what? An L brand? No, square U. Like that one over there. Ain't added my brand on him yet. Well, take a look at it.
10: See? Yeah, I see. It's a square U now, but it was an L. That brand's been altered. Okay, let him go.
8: Find something, Chase? Yeah.
4: Where'd you get this stock? I bought them last night. anything wrong? They
10: were stolen a week
4: ago. I got a bill of sale for them, Ranger fellow who had him was cutting them out yesterday. Said he was taking some steers to market, but he wanted to sell the calves for $60 a head. So he wouldn't have to keep coming all the way back from Rollo to get him. Came from Rollo, huh? That's what he said. But here's the bill of sale. Name was Vic Morath. Ranger, you must be making a mistake. Maybe. How many calves did he sell you? Eight of them. Boys bought these two in here, and they're getting the others now. Good. Is there a model face in the bunch, Stern? Yeah, there is. Guess that settles it, Jace. This is
10: Buckler's stock. Yeah. We better drive him out and have a van pick him up. Lab can examine the brands. Uh, what about my money? Your claims against the man who sold them to you, Vic Morath from Morallo.
4: If that was his right name. If he moves steers out too, Jace, they should be turning up at a commission house in a day or so.
10: Yeah. In the meantime, Stern, I'll have to hold you and your boys in custody for possession of stolen property. Ain't it enough that I lost four hundred and eighty dollars? Maybe it'll teach you not to pay cash for cattle until you've checked on them. I didn't pay cash. I gave Marath a check.
4: A check? You mean he took a check from you? Yeah. Hey, maybe I can stop payments. You won't have to. We'll do it for you. Where's your bank? Ranchers and Merchants Trust in Abilene. The president knows me. His name's Chalmers.
10: All right, Stern. Kurt, you bring him and his boys into town with a stock. I'll meet you there. I got to get to a phone and call that bank. I rode charcoal hard into town. Found a phone and put a call through for Mr. Chalmers, president of the bank in Abilene. But I was too late.
12: I'm sorry, Ranger Pearson, but Mr. Morath cashed that check shortly after we opened this morning.
10: Did you ask Morath for identification?
12: Yes, but he didn't have any on him.
10: You cashed the check anyhow?
12: Well, he asked us to call his bank in Rollo for a reference to save him time. He even paid for the call.
10: You mean he actually comes from Rollo and they've heard of him there?
12: The Rollo State Bank said he had an account there.
10: But you don't actually know whether the man was Morath.
12: Well, after all, Ranger, when the man paid for the call to his own bank in Rollo...
10: Did Morath endorse the check?
12: Yes, it was endorsed in my presence.
10: Will you rush that endorsed check to my headquarters? I want to look at that signature. When the check came through, Kurtz and I left for Rollo, Texas. At Rollo, we went directly to Morath's bank. Uh, Vic Moran? Well, yeah, I know him. This is his signature? I'd have to compare it with his signature card just a
11: moment.
6: M M A
11: M A S. M. A U. Ah, here we
8: are.
4: Uh, now we take both signatures and see. They're not the same,
10: Jace. No. Thank you. Uh, anytime, Ranger. Come on. What now, Jace? Morales ranch is only about a mile out. We better drive out there and see him. <laughs>
6: won't have a drink, Rangers? No, thanks. So somebody's been using my name, huh? Looks that way. You know who it might be? (sighs) No, but it's a cinch. it wouldn't be a friend. Forgery's a mighty low trick. I figure it may
10: have happened a hundred times before, Mr. Morath, but this is the first time we caught it.
6: I'm mighty glad you did. I don't like my name being mixed up with thieving and killing. Of course, you'd never see the
10: checks. They'd go right back to the man who made them out after they were cashed. Anybody ever forged your name to a check that went through your own bank?
6: I know. If anybody had and I knew it, I'd have taken a bullwhip to him. No help here, Chase. No.
10: Well, thanks for your cooperation, Mr. Morath. We can find our way out. So long, Mr. Morath.
6: You sure you won't take one of these before you go? I'm having another.
10: No, thanks.
4: That certainly led us into a blind pass. Huh? I said Marath was no help. What's the matter with you, Chase? I was just thinking of that book of
10: matches I found on the range out of Buckler's. The
4: ones that were dropped by somebody left-handed?
10: Yeah. I watched Marath pouring that drink for himself. He's left-handed, Kurtz. Well, ah, that's mighty thin and circumstantial, Chase. Sure, I know it is. Just a passing thought. I'm better called KTXA. Unit 10 to KTXA. Unit 10 back in service.
2: KTXA to Unit 10. Have message for you.
10: Go ahead, KTXA.
2: Cattle with L. Brand offered for sale this afternoon at Tully Commission House, Fort Worth. Cattle inspector reports Brand might have been L. Brand from Buckler Ranch.
10: Did Commissioner get name and address of seller?
2: Seller refused to have check mailed. Said he would pick it up tomorrow after stock was weighed and priced gave his name is Vic Morath,
10: Rollo, Texas. Just left Morath at home in Rollo. Unit 10 and Unit 6, proceeding to Fort Worth. We'll be there when Commission House opens in morning. Unit 10, 10 10-4. Got a long drive ahead of us, Jace. Yeah, but this is the break we've waited for.
4: (laughs) It's not so important now, is it, that Morath happened to be left-handed?
10: No. Not now, it isn't. (laughs) reached Fort Worth during the night and examined the cattle in the commission house stock pens. They were part of the buckler L. Brands, all right. All next day, Bud Kurtz and I were staked out in the commission house office. The man impersonating Morath never showed to pick up his check. Well, have to wait again tomorrow, Chase. I don't think so. He won't be coming. What do you mean? Our man didn't show because somebody tipped him not to show. Think somebody in the commission house slipped up? Maybe not, Kurtz. Maybe we slipped up. Maybe we did. What do you mean, Chase? I'll tell you as soon as we find a photograph of Vic Morath, the real one from Rollo. It took almost two days to find a picture. We went through newspaper files, breeders' publications, cattlemen and ranchers' journals, county fair souvenir books. Captain Stinson found what I was after.
12: Chase, look. Is Morath one of these?
10: Yeah. Yeah, that's it, Captain. That's Morath in the center. Group picture.
12: Who are the others? Picture comes from a breeder's journal. Caption says it's the Marath Ranch Rodeo Team. Had the highest group score at the Rollo... Rollo Rodeo in 1946, two years ago. I want to see if
10: Stern or Chalmers, the banker, can identify Marath as the man who sold those calves. Well, we know it wasn't Marath, Jase. The signatures didn't match. They don't have to. Marath is left-handed. He might have endorsed the check with his right hand just to cover up.
12: Hey, Jase may have something there. It's worth trying.
10: Stern has been released. I'll call him at his ranch and have him meet us at his bank in Abilene. How about it, Stern? Is this the man, the bareheaded one in the center? No. No, Ranger. I never saw him before. How about you, Chalmers? Is this the man who presented the check? No, no, it isn't.
4: Another washout, Jase. And let me see that picture again. Sure, here. I, uh. Um, I'm not sure, but, uh. This fellow on the end. Right here. Uh, you
10: look at it, Chalmers.
12: Why, yes. Yes, I believe that is the man.
10: One of the cowpokes, huh? Come on, Kurtz. We're gonna visit the sheriff at Rollo.
8: Yeah,
4: yeah, I know that feller. Quit working for Morath about a year ago. Bought himself a little ranch not far from Morath, uh, over near Comanche Gulch.
10: Cowpoke has to be pretty thrifty to buy a ranch. What's his name?
4: Uh, Buzz Black.
10: Better get over to Comanche Gulch, Jace. Yeah.
4: Thanks, Sheriff. Sure. Glad to be of service.
13: Well,
10: we're going to be able to tell Morath who's been using his name. We don't have to tell him. I got a hunch he already knows. What makes you say that? Black didn't go back to pick up that check. Somebody warned him those cattle were getting hot. That means morale. But if he's in on it, why would he let Black use his name? Because he's smart. False signature makes him look like an innocent victim. His reputation is good.
4: And as soon as we went to him, he knew we were on the trail and he told Black and the others to lay low. Right. Let's get Black for a starter.
10: of your
2: hands. huh oh, You scared me, right? Drop that hammer. Oh, sure, sure. I uh, don't know what this is all about,
10: but I... It's about an old man who was shot to death while you were running off some of his cattle with an ale brand.
4: Me?
2: Are oh, you crazy? I know. Never... You got
10: three people who can identify you. A man who bought the calves, banker
4: who cashed a check, and the commissioner who bought the steers in Fort Worth.
2: All right. So
10: what? I, I found the cattle out at Camp Hood. I- you don't find cattle with a brand on them. They weren't Mavericks. You better talk, Black. I'll talk when I see a lawyer. You wait that long and Marath will run out and you'll be facing it alone. That old rancher was murdered.
2: I didn't shoot him. I, I swear, it, Ranger... I...
10: No jury's going to believe you. Unless you tell us who did it and we find the gun he used.
2: Well, all right, all right. It was Marath. He started the whole thing was his idea. Who rode with you? One pokes from here, six from Marath's place.
10: What's that?
4: Driver taking off in a brush, Chase. Stop,
14: Too late. He made cover.
10: Isn't the Morath Ranch over that way, Black? Yeah,
2: yeah, that was my rider. must have sneaked up and hurt us.
10: I'm going to handcuff you to this wagon. Now, wait a minute. I... We'll be back for you later. Come on, Kurtz. They'll know we're coming on. They'll scatter it, Jace. Jase. We better call headquarters for more units. We put through the call and headed for Morath's ranch in the car, hoping to beat the rider. He must have stopped on the way and phoned Morath because the ranch was clear when we got there.
4: Ah, they cleared out, Chase. Better get the horses out of the trailer and start tracking.
10: Wait a minute, Kurtz. Look at this driveway. Funny marks. Yeah. Brush trailing behind a truck to wipe out the tracks. I've seen that before. And this is fresh. A branch caught in the edge of that mesquite when they turned into the road and snapped it. The brake is new. That means they're heading for the highway. Probably all riding together in the truck. There'll be an arsenal on wheels. Come on. Units we called for can set up roadblocks and converge on them. Unit 10 to KTXA. Unit 10 to KTXA.
2: KTXA to Unit 10. Go
10: ahead. Subjects wanted for killing of Maury Buckler making getaway in cattle truck from Morath Ranch at Rollo. Check license numbers of vehicles registered to Morath.
2: Will do, Unit 10.
10: Subjects headed for main highway will probably turn south toward closest border point. Unit 10 and Unit 6 headed that way. Have other units converge on area and set up roadblocks with highway patrol. Units 3 and 8 nearby we will notify them. We'll make direct contacts with units as we close in. Unit 10, 10-4. Kurtz, you can commandeer the sheriff's radio car in town. Give us a chance to spread out more. It's going to be like tackling a tank, Jase. Yeah. Break out a Tommy gun and put it on the seat. moved in from all points. There were no side roads that weren't covered by our units. Morath and his men were locked in our ring. I kept my foot heavy on the gas pedal. Then far ahead as I approached the intersection of State 12, I saw the truck dip over a rise. Unit 10 to Unit 3. Unit 10 to Unit 3.
12: Unit 3, go ahead, Unit 10.
10: Subject's truck less than a mile ahead of Unit 10, nearing intersection point, your area.
12: Ready for them, Unit 10. Unit 6 to Unit 10.
10: Go ahead, Unit 6.
12: Unit 6 now on main highway
10: south of intersection. Block highway at that point, Unit 6. Subjects are between Unit 6 and Unit 10 now unless they turn off.
12: Unit 3 has reached intersection point of State 12. We'll block off intersection.
10: Good, Unit 3. Unit 8 has blocked still further south if subjects break through. drew closer to the speeding truck as it topped a rise and headed down toward the intersection of the state highway. I could see the sheriff's car Kurtz had borrowed, blocking the road and Unit 3's car in the center of the turnoff. The truck skidded and started to make a turn and come back toward me. I swung my car across the road, grabbed the tommy gun and jumped out. Just no more We'll come out All of you still alive Come out with your hands up
8: You all right, Jace?
10: Yeah How about you, Clint? I'm okay All right, you men Get over there And keep your
4: hands up I got them covered, Jace. One dead in the back There and a couple wounded uh, uh, hey, Where's Barat?
10: Around the other side of the cab Dead He came out shooting And I nailed him ah, There he is Better break that
4: rifle out of his grip. Ballistics can tell if it's the one that killed Buckler.
10: it will be the one, all right. Or he wouldn't have tried so hard to keep us from getting him.
2: Vic Morath's rifle was positively identified as the one used in the slaying of Rancho Mori Buckler. Buzz Black and the other men who had assisted Morath were given penitentiary sentences ranging from 20 to 99 years.
3: Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Will soon be seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production Saddle Trent. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Tom Tully, Bert Holland, Joe Dubal, Byron Kane, Paul Dubuff, and Bob Cole. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcott, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gibney speaking.
15: And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen on Wednesday night to Brian Donlevy in Dangerous Assignment on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. And remember, it's National Wheaties Week. Tomorrow, Sam Spade cuts a caper and Robert
3: Merrill sings on NBC. It's National Wheaties Week. Yes, it's National Wheaties Week.
15: Come on, everybody, to the Wheaties party. Eat a lot of Wheaties, like the champions do. Dance together cheek to cheek. This is National Wheaties Week. Eat a lot of Wheaties, like the champions do. Wheaties, a breakfast of champions.
0: Chester, did you remember it was National Wheaties Week? Oh, my goodness. I, I forgot all about I haven't gotten Carol anything. What am I going to do? When is official Wheaties Day? Monday? Oh, man. I, I can't. I can't let another year go by and
15: have that happen.
3: Yes, it's National Wheaties Week.
15: Come on, everybody, to the Wheaties party. Eat a lot of Wheaties, like the champions do. Dance together, cheek to cheek. This is National Wheaties Week. Eat a lot of Wheaties, like the champions do. Wheaties, a breakfast of champions.
0: Well, Chester and I will put our heads together, and we'll come up with something. In the meantime, here's a Bobby Darin tune I heard the other day. I hadn't heard for a long, long time. It was from the film... Entitled Come September With Rock Hudson, Gina Lola-Brigida And Sandra Dee And if I'm not mistaken This is the film Where the two of them met And uh, Bobby Darin and Sandra Dee Later married It's called Multiplication Do you remember this?
16: When you see A gentleman be around A lady be buzzing just count to ten, then count again There's sure to be an even dozen A multiplication That's the name of the game In each generation They play the same Now there was two butterflies Casting their eyes Both in the same direction You'd never forget that one little yes Could start a butterfly collection a Multiplication, that's the name of the game. And each generation, they play the same. Let me tell you now, i say one and one is five. You can call me a silly goat, but you take two minks and two wings. Ah, uh, you got a one mink coat. When a girl gets coy in front of a boy, after three or four dances... You can just bet she'll play hard to get to multiply her chances. A multiplication—that's the name of the game. And each generation, you know they play the same. Hear me talking to your Mother Nature's a clever girl. She relies on habits. You take two hairs with no cares. Of. Pretty soon you got a room full of rabbits, so Parakeets and in between tweets, sometimes get too quiet. Uh oh, but to have no fear, cause soon you'll hear a parakeet's riot, just try it. A multiplication. That's the name of the game. In every generation, you know what are the same. Yeah, it's multiplication. That's the name of the game.
0: multiplication. That's the name of the game. Ah, I love Bobby Darin. He was, uh, he died way, way too young. Here's another Bobby Darin tune that I just love. This was uh, a protest song. This one came later, toward the end of his very short, short career.
13: Come and sing a simple song of freedom Sing it like you've never sung before. Let it fill the air, tell the people everywhere. We the people here don't want war. Hey there, Mr. Black Man, can you hear me? I don't want your diamonds or your game. I just want to be someone known to you as me And I will bet my life you want the same Come and sing a simple song freedom Sing it like you've never sung before Let it fill the air, tell the people everywhere we, the people here, don't want a war. 700 million are you listening? Most of what you read is made of lies. But speaking one to one, ain't it everybody's son to wake to in the morning when we rise? Come and sing a simple song of Freedom Sing it like you've never sung before, let it fill the air, tell the people everywhere. We the people here don't want a war. Brother Souls and it's in Are you busy? If not won't you drop this friend the line Tell me if the man who is plowing up your land has got the war machine upon his mind Come and sing the simple song of freedom sing it like you never sung before Some folks enjoy doing battle like presidents, prime ministers, and kings So let's all build them shelves Where they can fight among themselves Leave the people be who love to sing Come and sing a simple song of freedom Sing it like you never sung before Let it fill the air Tell the people everywhere
0: Simple Song of Freedom. That one was written by Bobby Darren. Yep, lost him way, way too young. Well, let's uh, change the mood a little bit. How about a little
16: comedy? Something familiar.
13: Something familiar. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. <laughs> nothing with kings, nothing with clowns.
17: Bring, Bring on the lovers, them liars, them and clowns. <laughs> situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or
8: polite. Ready, Ready for tomorrow, tomorrow tonight. <laughs>
0: Will, are you ready to laugh out loud? This week on our Comedy Corner, we're going back to Madison High School and visiting our Miss Brooks. But I've got a problem. According to my records, this uh, episode we're going to listen to was originally broadcast January twenty second, 1950, and is entitled, Walter's Radio. But if you listen to it, it obviously is not an episode that was originally titled, Walter's Radio. So, I don't know exactly what we're listening to tonight, when it was originally broadcast, or the name of the episode. Now, I went through and tried to do some research. Uh, There's one that I thought might be it called Mr. Boynton's Parents, but I listened to that one and it ain't it. So, I would guess that this one would be named something like Mrs. Boynton, but I guess it really doesn't matter because it's funny just the same. So, sit back, relax. Here comes Our Miss Brooks. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden.
15: It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written by Al Lewis. Well, by last week, the final examinations were all completed. And Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, felt that she was entitled to celebrate...
18: Accordingly, I granted Mr. Boynton the privilege of spending all Thursday afternoon and evening with me. In fact, I granted him the privilege about 20 minutes before he asked me.
8: (laughs) Friday morning
18: at breakfast, my landlady inquired about the preceding night's
19: revelry. What did you do, Connie? Where did Mr. Boynton take you? He took me to the zoo, Mrs. Davis. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, Connie. I know Mr. Boynton's conservative but I thought he'd at least take you to some place where there's a little gaiety. Oh, the zoo wasn't so bad. They get a pretty nice crowd.
18: <laughs> if you like orangutans. <laughs> Mr. Boynton doesn't spend much, does he, Connie? He hasn't got much, Mrs. Davis. But there's one thing about my dates with him. I get home in time to get plenty of sleep. Last night, it was only 10 o'clock when we said good night.
19: You didn't just say good night, did you? Certainly not, Mrs. Davis. We shook hands first
18: Oh, it was so romantic Standing there in the moonlight With our fingers locked in a mad embrace It doesn't sound very romantic to me Oh, it was Mr. Boynton got so carried away He almost took off one of his gloves Well, I certainly wouldn't call this A whirlwind courtship, would you? Frankly, Mrs. Davis, I've felt a stronger wind coming out of a flat bottle of club soda. (laughs) But Mr. Boynton was in a very good mood yesterday. It seems he's in line for a professorship at State University. Really? Yes, as a matter of fact, the dean is going to interview him after school today. It'll mean a lot to Mr. Boynton if he gets the position. More money, prestige. Why, he'll even be able to settle down and get married to some nice girl. What nice girl? What's the difference as long as she's a refined, wholesome English teacher who lives with Mrs. Davis?
19: (laughs) Well, I think you and Mr. Boynton should have been married long ago. Why don't you give him a hint once in a while? Why, I'm surprised
18: at you, Mrs. Davis. You ought to know I'm not that sort of a person. I was thinking of the poor souls who resort to trickery to get their men just last evening. When, Connie? Right after I steered Mr. Boynton into a Chinese restaurant, ordered a bowl of rice, and slipped the
19: waiter a quarter to throw it at us.
8: <laughs> I
19: know you're joking, Connie, but believe me, a little mental suggestion wouldn't hurt. That's Walter Denton. I'd better get my hat and coat. Be right with you, Walter.
18: Will you get that phone, please, Mrs. Davis? I can't seem to find my hat.
19: Certainly, dear. Hello.
20: Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. Oh,
19: thanks just the same, dear, but this is Mrs. Davis.
20: Oh.
19: Connie is rushing to get out of the house, but I'll call her if Oh, you...
20: don't disturb her, Mrs. Davis. I just wanted to tell her about the call I received from Dean Faraday of State U.
19: She's told me something about your expectations, Mr. Boynton, and I'm certainly thrilled over the news. We both are.
20: Oh, thank you. So am I. I'd do anything to get that position, Mrs. Davis. As a matter of fact, I I had to resort to a bit of deception when I spoke to the dean a few minutes ago. Deception? Well, I live alone, as you know, and the dean made it quite clear to me that the board favors family men on their faculty. So I, uh, I had to tell a little fib.
19: What did you say, Mr. Boynton?
20: Well, I told him I am a family man. I said I lived with Mrs. Boynton.
19: Mrs. Boynton?
20: Yes, my mother. Of course, Mom actually lives upstate with Dad, but, well, I figured a little white lie like that couldn't do much harm. Oh,
19: of course it can't, Mr. Boynton. I'll explain it all to Connie, and she'll see you at school later on.
20: Oh, fine, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye.
19: Goodbye. Be right with you, Walter. Well, Mrs.
18: Davis, I'm off. Oh, uh,
19: before you go, Connie, that was Mr. Boynton on the phone just now. He said he had to play a little trick on the dean when he called, because the dean prefers family men to bachelors. What kind of a trick? Mr. Boynton told him he lives with Mrs. Boynton. Mrs. Boynton? But how could he say? It? Coming, Walter! Oh, but Connie, have I haven't talked about.
18: Mr. Boynton, if I don't get down to Walter's car, one of them will blow a gasket. <laughs> So you see, Walter, Mr. Boynton may soon be going to State University to teach Gosh, Miss Brooks, all the way to State U? Oh, that's over 20 blocks from Madison High Well, I don't think they'd move it any closer, Walter Besides, he hasn't got the professorship yet Although from what Mrs. Davis said, he's certainly anxious to get it He even told the dean he was a family man Said he lives with Mrs. Boynton His wife? Naturally Boy, if Mr. Boynton told anybody he's married, he must really want that job According to my dad, faking your marital status is a pretty dangerous thing to do, though He got into a jam once just by saying he was single Oh? He said it to my mother (laughs) Yeah, four weeks later, they were married Serves him right
19: Yeah, he got pretty
18: sore at her for making him fall so head over heels in love When he couldn't really afford marriage You see, at that time, he wasn't making any more money than you make as a schoolteacher Unemployed, eh?
8: (laughs) But,
18: but Walter, please don't mention this opportunity Mr. Boynton has until the deal is consummated. You know, Mr. Conklin might make things a bit unpleasant if he heard he was losing one of his best teachers. Oh, I won't breathe a word of it to a soul, Miss Brooks. Of course, I'll have to tell Harriet. Harriet Conklin? Walter, I know you're very fond of her, but she's the last person in the world to be entrusted with confidential information. She doesn't mean any harm, I'm sure, but, well her class just named her Miss Town Crier of 1950. (laughs) Or to put it another way, everything you tell Harriet goes in one ear and out her father.
21: Good morning, Miss Brooks. Did Walter bring you down today? Yes, Harriet, he did. He's out finding a place to park. Oh, well, you know my girlfriend, Winona Sims, Miss Brooks. Her folks are back together again this morning, but last night they had an awful spat and her dad checked into his club, and I've been dying to see Walter to tell him the news. Well, I don't... I already told it to Stretch Snodgrass and Chester Burke and Dottie Guernsey in case they see Walter first. But if you happen to see Winona, please don't tell her I told you, Miss Brooks. Why not? It's
18: a secret. (laughs) Now that's what I call a secret With a high hooper rating (laughs) Don't worry, Harriet My lips are sealed Now if you'll excuse me I've got to stop in the lab And see Mr. Boynton Before my class All right, Miss Brooks See you in a little while Come in Oh,
20: it's you, Miss Brooks. I'm glad you stopped by. Did Mrs. Davis say anything about the... About
18: your telling the dean you're living with Mrs. Boynton? Yes, I know everything, Mr. Boynton.
20: Oh, not quite everything, Miss Brooks. You see, Dr. Faraday called me back after I spoke with Mrs. Davis, and he said he wants to meet Mrs. Boynton. He's coming to my apartment after school today. Now I'm really in a spot.
18: Not if you carry your original deception a step farther and produce Mrs. Boynton for the dean. Producer? I am now applying for the job. (laughs)
20: you're not serious, Miss Brooks
18: About you? I mean, uh, (laughs) I know how much this new position means to you, Mr. Boynton And I'd like to help you out Besides, what's wrong with me being Mrs. Boynton?
20: You? That's ridiculous
18: Thanks a million (laughs) What's ridiculous about it?
20: Well, you, you don't look the part Dr. Faraday would expect to meet a much more, uh, well, mature woman. Someone not only older in years, but more settled.
18: I'll settle, I'll settle. <laughs> <laughs>
20: no, no, thanks just the same, but, uh, wait a minute. Maybe makeup would do the trick. Makeup? Mm, powder and stuff. Sure, a few streaks of white in your hair make you look real stately, and, and then I could tell the dean you're considerably older than you look.
18: Well, let's not rush into senility, Mr. Boynton (laughs) We can discuss the details after school
20: Fine And, Miss Brooks, I'd like to say that I think it's wonderful of you to get in there and and pitch for me this way
18: I've been pitching for a long time, Mr. Boynton You just haven't been catching (laughs) I'd better get over to my room now Goodbye, Mr. Boynton Uh,
20: Goodbye, Mrs. Boynton
18: Mrs. Boynton (laughs)
20: <laughs> shall I, uh, shall I walk you over to your class?
18: Don't bother, I'll hop the first cloud heading east
8: <laughs>
18: Toodle Oops, oh, sorry, Miss Brooks Harriet I just happened to be near this door tying my shoelace I see Is that how you caught your earlobe in the keyhole? <laughs> oh, don't worry, Miss Brooks All I overheard was... <laughs> Harriet, I don't like the tone of your...
21: <laughs>
18: what did you hear? It's a secret, Miss Brooks. See you in class. Oh, great!
20: Uh, I thought I heard you talking, Miss Brooks. Or was there someone out here with you?
18: Only the house detective, Harriet <laughs> uh, <very laughs> Conklin. That's what delayed me. Oh,
20: I'm glad. I wanted to catch you.
18: Oh, well, here I am. Catch. <laughs>
20: but I, I just thought of something, Miss Brooks. If you're to convince the dean that you're Mrs. Boynton, we'd better get your wedding ring. Now, I'll just measure your finger with this piece of string and get over to Miner's jewelry store after school.
18: Oh, don't spend too much on a ring, Mr. Boynton, after all. Oh, Miner's
20: a pretty good friend of mine. I'm sure he'll lend me the ring for just one day.
18: (laughs) Now, you
20: you won't back out, will you, Miss Brooks?
18: Of course not. I'll play Mrs. Boynton to the hilt, even though it will be rather a grueling job.
20: What do you mean, grueling? It's only for one day.
18: That's what I mean. I love the position, but the hours are so short. (laughs) My spirits were considerably buoyed up during the morning classes by the thought that I was to be Mrs. Boynton that very afternoon. I refused to dwell on the fact that by midnight I'd feel like queen for a day. (laughs) And I just finished my lunch when Harriet Conklin joined me in the cafeteria and told me her father wanted to see me. It was obvious when I got to the principal's office that Mr. Conklin had received some kind of a report on my conversation in Mr. Boynton's lab. Because he was much too jovial Ah,
17: Miss Brooks, sit down, sit down
18: Thanks, thanks Well, what's
17: new with you? How's every little thing?
18: Just dandy, in a tiny sort of way
17: (laughs) Yes? Well, it seems to me that there's something in the air Uh, Don't you agree?
18: It is getting a bit nippy out Might even (laughs) freeze up tonight The radio advised the citrus growers to smudge
17: (laughs) I didn't ask you in here for a frost warning, Miss Brooks.
8: <laughs> I,
17: I see something in your face that's never been there before. Your, your eyes are glowing, your cheeks are flushed. Tell me, what's the cause of it?
18: They had chili con carne in the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, sir, I'd better... Hmm. Well, there's the start of the next period. I'd better be running along now.
17: Oh, very well, Miss Brooks. And thank you for a most delightfully cryptic few moments
18: Good day (coughs) Oh, sorry, Miss Brooks Didn't you get that shoe tied yet? (laughs) Never mind, Harriet I'll see you in class later on Okay, Miss Brooks Well, Daddy Did Miss Brooks let the cat out of the
21: bag?
17: She didn't let an undernourished mouse out of the bag (laughs) But I'd swear there's something up
21: Well, of course there is I told you we called her Mrs. Boynton this morning, and I also heard him say they were meeting a doctor or something or other in his apartment this afternoon.
17: A doctor, eh? Must be a minister. They're getting married this afternoon. Well, it's been some time coming, but this has been a very modest and sensible courtship between these two teachers. Kindness, consideration, and courtesy have all played their part. And now, at long last, she's nailed him.
21: Wonderful. And just think, Daddy, now that she's getting married, Miss Brooks can do what she always said she'd do, quit her job and raise a family.
17: Ah, yes, motherhood. What greater boon to the American home than the pitter-patter of little... Quit her job! (laughs) (laughs) She can't do this to me. Why, do you realize how difficult it is to secure a competent teacher in the middle of a school year?
21: Well, sure, Daddy, but there's nothing anybody can do about it. After all, you can't interfere with Dan Cupid.
17: I can't, eh? Well, if Dan Cupid thinks he's going to rob me of an English teacher, I'll beat the bare little brute until he drops his quiver.
20: (laughs) So if you'll go on ahead to my apartment, Miss Brooks, I'll pick up the wedding ring at Miner's store. You see, Dr. Faraday said he'd meet me right after school and I wouldn't want him to wait out in the hall.
18: All right, Mr. Boynton, but what do I do with my hands until you come back and slip me the ring?
20: Well, uh, couldn't you sort of fold them?
18: They'll be folded all right. I'll be praying. <laughs> oh, I'm
20: sure of the work, Miss Brooks. Now, just put plenty of powder in your hair and assume a, a
18: dignified attitude.
20: N- now we'd better be going.
18: All right, I'll do it, Mr. Boynton. But Why Mrs. Boynton has to be an octogenarian, I'll never know. Oh, well, see you in a little while, Mr. Boynton. Very
20: well, Miss Brooks. Goodbye.
18: Goodbye.
20: Oh, that's a relief. Even if I am a few minutes late, at least my mother will be there to greet Dr. Faraday.
18: oh Uh-oh. Here it comes, Connie. Be right there. I wish I knew more about the layout of this apartment. The front door must be one of these. Come in, Doctor. We've been. Oh, it's a closet.
8: <laughs>
18: <laughs> Welcome, Doctor Faraday, to our little nest. Thank
14: you, my dear. You, of course, would be Mrs. Boynton.
18: I sure would. That is, I am Mrs. Boynton. Yes, I am. <laughs> May I help you off with your coat, sir?
14: thank you. Well, this certainly is a lovely apartment you folks have here. Now, how long have you been living in it?
18: About three years. Now, I'll just hang up your coat and we can have a nice chat until Philip comes home. He'll just be a few minutes.
14: Uh, forgive my mentioning it, Mrs. Boynton, but you're hanging my coat in the bathroom.
18: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Sorry. Since we had the apartment done over, I get rather confused. Here we are
14: This is the kitchen
18: Isn't it cute? While I'm here, suppose I make some lemonade for us But what about my coat? Better take it with you This apartment's pretty drafty Why don't you just make yourself comfortable in the living room If you run across it I'll get some lemons out of the pantry, Dr. Faraday
14: uh, very well, Mrs. Boynton. I'll go into the living room. Uh, somebody at the front door. Uh, shall I answer it? Shall I answer it? I guess Mother Boynton is busy.
18: Well? I locked myself out. <laughs>
14: Let's, uh, let's postpone the lemonade, shall we? Why don't we just sit in the living room and have a little talk?
18: You lead and I shall follow.
14: Ah, here we are. You'll take this rocker, I presume?
18: I wouldn't be without it. You sit here on the sofa, Doctor.
14: Uh, fine. You know, Mrs. Boynton, when I first made known my need for a biology professor at State U, Philip Boynton was most highly recommended by our board of directors. You can be very proud of him indeed.
18: Oh, I am. I've been proud of Philip ever since the day we met. (laughs)
8: Uh,
18: the day you met? I'll never forget it. It was on a bus.
8: (laughs) A bus? Yes, he got
18: up and gave me his seat He gave you his He was getting off at the next block anyway You see, he was going to visit his father Who happened to be in the hospital at the time His father was in the hospital?
14: I know things were different in those days, but I don't recall them as being that different.
18: <laughs> the next time I saw Philip was two weeks later. He'd just been made a lieutenant in the Air Corps. <laughs> he looked so cute. Of course, some of the enlisted men said he wasn't dry behind the ears yet.
14: They might have had something there. <laughs> Mrs. Boynton, I'm happy to see you've got such a keen sense of humor In times like these uh... Well, hello, Dr. Paraday. Oh, hello, Boynton
18: Philip, darling, let me take your hat
14: No,
20: no, don't you move, dear Just stay right there on your rocker Oh, such devotion
14: (laughs) You know, I like that in a man, Boynton I like the way you look at her. Oh, she's still my sweetheart. She's a fine woman. She's the salt of the earth. The cream of the crop. She's all wool and a yard wide.
18: Only from service. (laughs) Now, if you gentlemen will excuse me, I'll go fix some lemonade.
14: Oh, certainly, dear. that will be very nice. Well, Mr. Boynton, your mother and I have been getting along famously. Oh, she's a great old gal. Yes, indeed. Hey, sit down, my boy. I'd like to ask you a few questions... before I make my final recommendation for your appointment to state you. Now, uh, for instance, do you have any plans for leaving your present state of bachelorhood?
20: Well, not immediately, sir. You know how it is with school teachers; They mostly meet other school teachers, and, well, we just can't afford each other. <laughs> but well, someday, when I've advanced a bit in salary, I do hope to get married.
14: Well, sounds like you've already selected a candidate. Tell me about her, son. Well, we met on a bus...
20: A bus? Uh, Yes, sir I got up and gave her my seat I was getting off at the next block anyway You see, uh, my father was in the hospital at the time
14: You know, this sounds very familiar
18: Here we are Fresh lemonade coming up One for you, Doctor, and here's your glass, Philip.
14: Oh, thank you. Nobody makes better lemonade than you do. Mm, Hmm, it is good. You know, Mrs. Boynton, I simply can't get over your youthful appearance. Thank you, sir. I, uh, I'm not being presumptuous, I trust, but would you mind telling me how old you were when Philip came into the world?
18: Well, as a matter of fact, he came in before I did. (laughs) Lemonade, Philip?
20: It's too too sweet. Would you please come into the kitchen with me for a moment? Surely, but... Uh, Please excuse us, Dr. Faraday. We'll be right back. Yeah, of course. Miss Brooks, this is no time for kidding. You've got to act much older in front of the dean. Ten or twenty years older.
18: But, Mr. Boynton, that would make me old enough to be your mother. Of course. He thinks you are
20: my mother. Now, 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 here's the ring and... How
18: does that go again? (laughs) I thought I was supposed to be Mrs. Boynton, your wife.
20: My wife? That's ridiculous. I explained it all to Mrs. Davis on the phone.
18: I don't care what you explained. My father didn't raise his daughter to be your mother.
20: (laughs) Miss Brooks, you wouldn't want to wreck my chances for a professorship now, would you?
18: No, Mr. Boynton, I wouldn't. But I'm going to make as hasty and gracious an exit as I possibly can. Oh, Dr. Faraday, I just remembered a rather pressing engagement. Will you excuse me? Oh,
14: certainly, my dear. I hope we'll meet soon again.
18: Thank you. Goodbye, Philip. Goodbye.
14: Goodbye. Oh, come now, don't be embarrassed in front of me Go ahead, kiss her goodbye Oh, that won't be necessary
18: You heard what the man said <laughs> Come on over here and kiss your dear old ever-loving mammy this
8: minute <laughs>
20: Oh, no, 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 oh, wait a minute, Ma Shucks, I, I, I really shouldn't Well, gee, Ma, I don't want to.
18: What? Come here, baby,
8: <laughs> Junior.
18: From now on, I buy your clothes in the men's department. <laughs> well, goodbye again. Hey,
14: goodbye, Mrs. Boynton. And May I say it's been very pleasant, very pleasant indeed.
18: You're not just rattling your sheepskin, Dean. <laughs> Well, I started to leave Mr. Boynton's apartment, but as I opened the door... Hello, Miss Brooke. Mr. Conklin. What have you done to yourself?
17: You look so much older.
18: I've aged ten years since I opened this door.
17: Well, uh, come on,
20: let's join the others. I hope I'm not too late.
18: Uh, but, Mr. Conklin, Oh, I...
20: good afternoon, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Conklin, aren't you going to introduce me to your guest? Uh, of course. Uh, Dr. Faraday, may I present our principal, Mr. Conklin?
17: Now,
14: how do you do, sir? Now, how do you do, doctor? Well, have you made it official yet? Uh, Not quite, Mr. Conklin. We thought maybe we'd try it out for a while first.
18: (laughs) uh, What? You
14: mean they're not married? Mr.
18: Boynton rarely marries his mother. Look, Mr. Conklin, (laughs) if you'll just come into the next Next room... room, Next room,
14: nothing. I came here to prevent this thing, and I'm glad I'm on time. But, Mr. Conklin, surely you wouldn't stand in the way of a teacher's
18: advancement.
17: Normally, no. But in this case, I'm forced to admit, albeit grudgingly, that she would be very hard to replace. She? She?
18: I told you you didn't have enough makeup on, dearie.
14: Miss <laughs> <laughs> Brooks,
20: please.
18: Miss Brooks? I don't
14: know quite what's going on here, but I am convinced of one thing. State University will have to look further for a new biology professor. But, Dr. Faraday... I'm sorry, Mr. Boynton. Good day.
20: Well, I know I've put my foot into something, but I wish someone would tell me what it was. Oh, it doesn't matter now, Mr. Conklin. The dean would have discovered the truth sooner or later. Dean?
17: You mean that man was Dean Faraday of State University? Certainly. But I must have sounded like a blithering idiot.
18: It's been a long time since I heard a better blither. (laughs) I'd
17: better catch up to him and explain. Then I'll come back here and you can explain. I'll
20: talk to you later on, Boynton.
18: I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Boynton.
20: Oh, forget it, Miss Brooks. It was wonderful of you to even try to act as my mother. I don't know how to thank you.
18: Oh, that's easy, Mr. Boynton. How? Climb upon my knees, sunny boy. Next week, tune into another
15: Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Lustre Cream Campo, the soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations and be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. If you enjoyed this program, you'll also enjoy Teacher's Pet, a feature story on Eve Arden and Our Miss Brooks in the February issue of Liberty Magazine. Now on the newsstands, Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Well, that was our Miss Brooks. We know it was heard on CBS, but I can't give you the date, nor can I give you the title. If somebody could provide me with that information, please send me an email at bob at theoldtimeradioshow.com or bob at boomerboulevard.com, either one, and I will get it. I'd appreciate it very much. Anyway, more are Miss Brooks in the weeks ahead.
16: This time I'm walking
13: to New Orleans. I'm walking to New
17: Orleans. I'm going to need to parachute when I get through walking in the blue i get back to New Orleans I've got my suitcase in my
8: hand Now ain't that a shame I'm
17: leaving here today Yes, I'm going back on the street Yes, I'm walking to New Orleans talking
3: I've got to keep on walking New Orleans is my home
8: That's the reason why I'm gone Yes, I'm walking to New Orleans I'm walking to New Orleans To New Orleans. I'm to
0: New Orleans. Mr. Fats Domino with his big, big hit Walking to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs>
13: now
8: oh
0: to join Matt and Chester and Doc and Kitty and all the gang in Dodge City, Kansas for an episode of Gunsmoke. This time we're going to listen to an episode that was originally broadcast on September the 3rd in 1955, and it's entitled Change of Heart. It's a pretty good script. It was written by John Meston. It features Sam Edwards, Virginia Christine, Vic Perrin and Paul DuBov, plus of course our regular cast, William Conrad, Parley Bear, Howard McNear, and Georgia Ellis. So here we go, Gunsmoke, Change of Heart.
23: Uh, go ahead, Chester. Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. Well,
1: say, who's that new girl Miss Kitty's over there with?
23: I don't know, Chester. Let's go meet her.
1: Uh, well, I'll come over there in a few minutes, Mr. Dillon. Oh? I got to give Sam some money back I borrowed off of her. Okay. Ain't much. Just a little lobby.
5: <laughs> Hello, Matt. Hello, Kitty. Hello, Kitty. Marshal Dillon, Bella Grant. How do you do, Bella? I'm pleased to know you, Marshal. Won't you sit down?
23: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I will.
5: Matt, Bella's been here almost a week. Uh Oh? Mm-hmm.
23: Well, Kitty, you see, I've been awful busy lately. You sure have. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How do you like Dodge, Bella?
9: Well, aside from the heat and dust, I like it fine, (laughs) Marshal. Eating dust is about all
5: there is to dodge, Bella. Uh, not quite all, Kitty. What? Oh, Jerry Cass again. I'll well, see you later, Bella. You don't mind. Would it matter? Kitty's always joking me, Marshal.
23: Yeah, she bears watching that way. Goodbye, Bella. Bye. Tell me something, Kitty. Huh? Isn't it a rare thing to see Jerry Cass in town here?
5: Oh, he's been coming in lately.
23: Oh, since his pa died, huh?
5: Well, that was three months ago. It's the last week he's changed his ways.
23: Uh Ah. Bella? Mm
5: -hmm. He's real sweet on her, Matt.
23: Well, she seems to feel the same way about it.
5: Well, he's a nice boy, but she's running it, if you ask me. He never had a chance once she started after him.
23: Well, I guess Jerry's never known much about women, Kitty, being raised by his pa and all.
5: Well, he's going to learn now. Shut up. I told you for the last time. Who's that? I don't know. I never saw him before. Now
11: get away from her and stay
5: away from her. Starting trouble with Jerry, man. Yeah. I well, told you. I knocked him down.
23: You stay here, kitty.
9: She didn't have to hit him.
23: You'll be the next one I hit. No, she won't, mister. You looking for trouble, too? Seems to me I found it without looking.
11: You sure
1: have. <laughs>
23: Hey, Chester.
1: Right here, Mr. Dillon.
23: Get a couple of men to help you carry him, huh? We'll let him come to in jail. All right, you.
1: Hey,
9: Bruni, you and Cyril,
23: give me a hand. Here before Bella, I uh, I guess you can take care of Jerry.
9: There's going to be trouble over this, Marshal. Oh, is there? Jerry'll tell you.
23: All right, I'll hear it from him when he feels like talking. <laughs>
1: fellow claims he don't like being in jail, Mr. Dillon.
23: Well, I can't blame him for that, Chester.
1: He says he didn't know you was the marshal.
23: Well, what would he have done if he had known? Try to shoot me?
1: I didn't ask him that. In fact, I didn't feel much like talking to him anymore. Uh Uh-huh. In fact, I was getting pretty sick and tired of his sassy remarks. I. Oh, hello, Jerry. Hello, Chester.
7: Marshal. Well, I guess he didn't hurt you very much, Jerry. I never thought he was going to hit me. Kinda took me by surprise. (laughs) It sure did. Marshal, um I was wondering if you'd let him out of jail now. Uh Oh? So you can go finish the fight somewhere? No. I don't want to fight him. I want to be friends with him. It's hard, but I want to try everything I can. Why, Jerry? Who is he? Why, it's Briscoe. Briscoe? Briscoe Cass, Marshal. What? My brother. Don't you know him?
23: Your bro? I never knew you had a brother.
7: Yeah, he come back last week. I thought you must have run into him around town somewhere.
23: Well, I haven't till tonight. What do you mean he came back last week?
7: Well, you see, Briscoe left home now on to, oh, fifteen 15 years ago, Marshal. He's been living in St. Louis. When he heard Pa died, I guess he figured his kid brother needed looking after. But I don't. I can take care of myself.
23: Ah, uh, Chester. Yes, sir. Go turn Briscoe loose, will you? All
7: right, sir. I'm going on 25 now, Marshal. And I've always worked hard on that ranch. I wouldn't do nothing wrong there or anyplace else. Now, does Briscoe think you're doing something wrong? Oh, I shouldn't be complaining to you. It ain't your trouble. Here he is, Mr. Dillon.
1: Go on ahead, Briscoe.
7: Hello,
11: Briscoe. Why didn't you say you was a marshal?
23: Well, I guess I figured we'd talked long enough, Briscoe. That's no answer. Maybe I don't aim to give you an answer.
11: I don't think you and me are going to get along too well.
23: Men that act like you always find it hard to get along. Mm-hmm. I don't want
11: no trouble with you. You don't have to have it. No. Guess you're right. It's a kid here who's got me all riled up. Him and that dance hall girl. There's nothing wrong with Bella. You mean she's pretty. Sure, she's pretty. I told you a hundred times, she's pretty. She's smart. She's a fine girl, the wonder of the world. But she works in a saloon. Well, what's wrong with that? No brother of mine's gonna hang around a saloon girl. Maybe
7: she won't be a saloon girl for long. Jerry, I'll see you dead before I see you marry that girl. You can push me only so far, Briscoe. Because I've tried to be friendly with you don't mean I'm afraid of it. I'll kill you first. Listen enough, Briscoe. Now, I've
23: heard all of this talk I want. You two get out of here and settle this at home, but you settle it without gunplay or one of you will end up on a rope. Now, is that clear?
7: It ain't me that's looking for a fight, Marshal. Then
23: you're old enough to figure out some other way of handling it, Jerry. This is a family affair, and I'm not mixing in it. Unless I'm forced to. And then I'll mix real fast. Is that clear, Briscoe? I'll straighten them out, Marshal. There won't be any trouble.
11: Well, come on,
7: Jerry. Okay. Bye, Marshal. Chester? Jerry? Goodbye, Jerry.
1: Uh, I declare I can't figure that briscoe, Mr. Dillon.
23: Jerry hasn't got him figured either, Chester. What do you mean? I'm not sure myself, but he's playing a game of some kind. And from what I've seen of him, you can depend on its being no good. <laughs>
24: This is no day to be out riding horseback, Mac. I
23: can't pick and choose when I have to work, Doc.
24: Uh, <laughs> work, you say. What work you've been doing? <laughs>
23: well, I've ridden 30 miles since dawn.
24: All right, sir. So get shot at? No. Uh, shoot anybody?
23: <laughs> no.
24: Well, Then you've done no more work than if you'd spent the time sitting here watching Front Street.
23: Uh-huh. <laughs> You've been here all morning,
24: I suppose. Well, I'm just settling my dinner. Oh, I ate awful heavy this noon.
23: Not me. I don't have that problem.
24: <laughs> hello, Marshal.
23: Oh, Miss Cullen. How are you?
24: Doc. Oh, oh, hello. What's her name? So, say, where have you been, Matt?
23: Oh, checking on a trail herd coming up from Pampa. It's two weeks late and the owner got to worrying some about it.
24: Oh, So you find them?
23: Oh, they'll be here in three or four days.
24: Well, it's a good thing you didn't wait to ride in with them. Oh, why? (laughs) You'd have missed the fun tomorrow. What fun? Jerry Cass is getting married. He is? Yes, he is. He announced it last night. And Bella's willing. What about Briscoe? Is he willing? Well, that's where the fun comes in. Briscoe says he'll stop it with lead if he has to. (laughs) Well,
23: I guess it's time I got mixed up in it.
24: Huh? What? What are you going to do?
23: I'm going to talk to Jerry first. Have you seen him, Doc?
24: Well, isn't he generally over at the Long Branch, eyeing Bella?
23: <laughs> yeah, I guess he is. Now, don't you go to sleep sitting there, Doc.
24: And why shouldn't I?
23: Because we might be needing you before the day's out. Wide awake. Mm-hmm.
5: look like you've been herding buffalo.
23: Oh, you know where I can get a job doing it?
5: Everybody's always looking for a different job than the one he's got.
23: Yeah, maybe you're right, Kitty.
5: Well, of course I am. But you didn't come in here to talk about that.
23: No, I guess I didn't. Uh, Kitty, I'm looking for Jerry Cass.
5: Oh, well, he was here. He said he'd be back in a little while. Uh-huh.
23: I, uh, don't see Bella around anywhere.
5: She's over at the rooming house. She won't be in for another hour. Are you expecting trouble, Matt?
23: Well, I hear most everybody is.
5: You know what I think? No, what? I think if Briscoe had left Jerry alone, he'd never have asked Bella to marry him. But the way things are stacked up now, he's gonna go through with it whether he really wants to or not.
23: Well, that may be, Kitty.
5: Well, here he is.
7: Hello, Marshal. Ah, how are you, Jerry? Right now, I'm kind of mixed up.
5: Well, what's the trouble, Jerry?
7: I've been over talking to Bella, Kitty. You know what she's saying now? No, what? She says she ain't gonna marry me unless I quit the ranch and move back east somewhere. Oh, no. She wants to live where it's more civilized, she says. Uh,
23: Jerry, she decided this kind of on the sudden, didn't she? She sure did. Well, how come she waited till now?
7: I don't know, Marshal. But I like that ranch. I don't want to leave it. What would I do back east, anyway? Well, what did you tell her? What could I tell her? She's got her mind made up. It's tomorrow we're getting married, Marshal. I'll lose her now. I I don't know what I'll do. Um, Where's Briscoe, Jerry? I don't know, and I don't care. As long as he stays away from me. Marshal... I just don't understand it. Why should Bella suddenly start talking like this?
23: Look, Jerry, I want you to wait here. What? I got an idea. Maybe I can find out what this is all about. <laughs> Seen, Mr. Dillon. Oh, maybe nobody needs any money today, Chester.
1: That ain't altogether true.
23: (laughs) Look, uh, you wait out here, will you? Mr. Bodkin might handle easier if I go on alone.
6: All right, sir. Come in. Well, Marshal Dillon, come in, come in. How are you, Mr. Botkin? Fine, thank you, Marshal, just fine. Have a cheer.
23: All right, thanks. Now, what can I do for you? Well, I tell you, Mr. Botkin, it's about uh, old man Cass, mm. Jerry's paw, you know.
6: Well?
23: Well, I remember he was kind of peculiar in some ways, but uh, not when it came to business. I'd be mighty surprised if uh, he died without leaving a will. And uh, if he did
24: leave a will?
23: Well, he'd have left it with you, probably. Most people do. Mm -hmm. What's your interest in Cash's will, Marshal? Well, one, as a friend of Jerry's. Two, as a lawman. Well, all right. I've got it right here in my desk.
6: Haven't gotten around to putting it back in the safe yet. There you are.
23: Ah, thanks. You, uh, been studying it over lately? Is that it? Oh, goodness, no. It's only a few sentences long. Yeah, so it is. Uh, why'd you have it out of the safe, Mr. Botkin? Well, Briscoe wanted to show it to Jerry. Why, Jerry hadn't seen it before? (laughs) That boy never comes to town, Marshal. Well, he's been coming lately. He has? Oh, yeah. When did Briscoe first see this, Mr. Botkin?
6: Right after his father died. He he wrote me
23: for a copy. Oh, Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm going to borrow this for a little while, if you don't mind. Well, take good care of it, Marshal. <laughs> Best care i ever had, I promise you that. Thanks goodbye, Miss Barker.
6: Goodbye, Marshal.
23: Come on, Justin.
1: Well, you find out what you wanted, Mr.
23: Dick? Yeah, I sure did.
1: Well, good.
23: Look, uh, I'm going to see Bella... I want you to pick up Jerry Cass over at the Long Branch and bring him over to her room. You understand?
1: All right, sir. I'll get him, Mr. Allen. <laughs>
23: Marshal Dillon? Uh, can you tell me what room Bella Grant's in?
11: Uh, 23, Marshal, right at the top of the stairs. 23.
23: 20, 23. Okay, thank you.
9: Marshal Dillon.
23: No, uh, leave the door open, Bella.
9: What do you want here, Marshal?
23: Well, I want to know why you changed your mind about Mary and Jerry.
9: Well, it's none of your business, but I didn't. I only said I thought it over and I couldn't live on a ranch.
23: Uh-huh. Well, that's what you told Jerry.
9: And that's what I'm telling you. I'm not made of leather. I'm a, I'm a woman, a city woman, and I hate the country.
23: Then why did you say you'd marry him in the first place?
9: A woman can change her mind, can't she?
23: You didn't change your mind, Bella.
9: What are you saying, Marshal?
23: Why don't you tell me the truth?
9: Oh, leave me alone. I got enough trouble.
1: Uh, I got him, Mr. Dillon.
23: Oh, oh come on in, Jerry. Sure.
1: Briscoe's coming, too.
23: Well, Briscoe? Well, he seen us
1: and followed us. I couldn't
23: stop him. It's okay, Chester. I'll get rid of him fast enough. There he is.
1: Quite a party.
11: What's this all about?
23: Why don't you come in and find out, Briscoe?
11: What are you up to, Marshal? You preacher on the side. You're going to marry him yourself.
23: Quit bluffing, Briscoe. What? It didn't work. You're all through.
11: What are you talking about?
23: There'd be a shooting if I told you. Now, Chester, hmm? you spend a lot of time at the depot. How soon can Briscoe get out of town?
1: Well, the uh, Santa Fe pulls out at half past two, Mister Dillon.
23: Half past two, huh? Oh, sure. Why, you just got time to make it, Briscoe. Are you crazy?
7: Oh, Jerry. What? Here. What's this?
23: I don't want you to open it yet. It's your Pa's will.
7: Pa's will? I never
23: seen this Where'd before. you get that mark? I borrowed it from Mr. Bodkin. Well, Briscoe.
11: He's lying, Jerry. It ain't Pa's will at all.
7: It's his writing. Briscoe's leaving, Mr. Dillon.
23: Let him go, Chester.
7: Left the ranch to both of us. But we both gotta work it and live on it.
9: Excuse me, Chester, I want my handbag.
7: Oh, uh, why, sure, Belle. And if either of us leaves for longer than four months, he loses his share to the other. Uh, Bella, where are you going?
9: You stay here, Jerry.
5: I'll be back.
23: Bella! Never mind her, Jerry. You're staying here.
5: Why?
7: What for?
23: You read the will. If either of you leaves that ranch for more than four months, he loses his share in it. That's what Briscoe was trying to get you to do. Go back east with Bella.
7: What are you saying? He didn't even want me to marry her.
23: He only acted like that because he knew it'd prod you into doing it. And also, it'd make him look innocent later. After he got your share. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. No, you stay in here till he's on that train.
7: Let me get out of here, Marshal. I'm going after him. No. That's Bella. Come on. It's Bella. He shot her. And
1: he got shot, too.
7: Look at him. Bella.
1: Uh, Bella. uh, uh, Briscoe's dead, Mr. uh, Dillon. She got him plum center. Bella, you hurt
9: bad? He, He was no good. No good at all.
7: Why'd you do it, Bella.
9: I'm sorry, Jay. You're a nice kid. I'm sorry I had to hurt you. He got me into it. He brought me here. I wanted to get out after I met you. He said he'd kill me if I tried.
11: Oh, Bella... <laughs>
9: He killed me anyway. Uh,
8: uh,
7: uh. Marshal? Yeah, Jerry? You had it all figured, didn't you?
23: The whole thing. No, not all of it, Jerry. Not her loving you.
7: Loving me? Not hardly. She was with Briscoe.
23: She said she tried to get out, didn't she? Yeah. She kept you from killing him, didn't she? From maybe hanging for it? You were
7: keeping me from that, Marshal.
23: Yeah, I know I was, Jerry, but Bella didn't know it.
7: Maybe she did love me. Well, it cost her her life.
8: (laughs)
23: This is William Conrad. As you may know, Gunsmoke is going into its second year on radio. Now, during this time, many of you have written the makers of Chesterfield and L M Filters, asking them to put Gunsmoke on television, too. Well, here's some good news for you. Gunsmoke is going on TV starting Saturday, September 10th, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, over the CBS television network. If you enjoy our radio shows, I know you'll go for Gunsmoke on TV. Now TV will have an authentic adult western, the Gunsmoke you know. Remember, next week, Gunsmoke Radio at this time and Gunsmoke TV at 10 p.m. Eastern Time.
22: Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Sam Edwards, Virginia Christine, Vic Perrin, and Joe Duval. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Listen to Gunsmoke again next week. Transcribed for L&M Filters.
0: From September 3rd in 1955, that was Gunsmoke. The name of that episode was Change of Heart. Great sound quality on that one, isn't it? Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Love it when we have those really, really good sound quality shows. More gun smoke coming up next time. <laughs> The people the the Henry Mancini and the Baby Elephant Walk. All right. On our last show, I played a Gene Shepard clip from uh, December 30th, 1965. This was a show that he broadcast live on WOR. It was his nightly show. He had a one-hour show every week or every night or, you know, five nights a week where all he did was was talk for an hour. Sometimes he had a guest but very very rarely. Most of the time he was either talking about current events or more likely he was telling stories about either when he was a kid or when he was in the army. Gene Shepard was a master storyteller. Most of us know him of course from the Christmas or A Christmas Story which uh, were was written by him and based on uh, his boyhood recollections. And, of course, it's become such a classic over the years. But uh, I have a number of Gene Shepard shows in my collection, and I just thought I'd start sharing some of the stories with you. Now, last time we heard a story uh, entitled um, "Bushel of Apples. Well, what we're going to listen to now is that same show, that same night, but as soon as he finished telling the one story, he went in to this one. And this one, I think you're really going to enjoy. We call it The Two Matches. Oh,
25: wow. You know, did, that reminds me, listening to that music, set that back, will you skip? Uh, did Have you... Have you, any of you, have you, any of you, I suppose a few of you have, I can understand why some of the greatest short stories have been written about the frozen north. Do you remember Jack London's story, I'll never forget one time, I'm a kid, I'm about, oh I must have been about in eighth grade. In fact, I know it was eighth grade because I remember the teacher who read this story to us. She is standing up in front of the class, Ross sitting there very innocently, and, and it was the first time that literature ever got me. Uh, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy didn't, well, you know, they didn't quite move me. Uh, I was with it, but they didn't move me. Uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, they moved me about a millimeter to the right. Uh, the Hardy Boys at the lake, well, a little bit. The Outdoor Chums at the White Mountain, possibly. But one day, Miss Fipe, who was a little dark-haired teacher with rimless glasses in eighth grade, stood up behind her desk, and she said, uh, we, have been, we have been reading stuff like Lady of the Lake. We've been reading things like, uh, uh, you know, Ivanhoe, and so on. And she says, today I'm going to read one of my favorite short stories. Uh, kids don't really read short stories. They don't assign short stories. In uh, in classes, they always assign these terrible novels, like uh, Silas Marner, uh, that kind of jazz. They, you know, they don't they don't tell you to read uh, uh, the Banana Fish. Uh, nothing like that. They, they, you're always you're always reading some long, giant thing about guys running around in armor, and that kind of stuff. And so she says, "I am going to read to you a short story. One of my favorite short stories it was one of those. Do you remember in classes when you were in school?" on those relaxed days when there wasn't really an assignment and some teacher decided just to have a little uh, fooling around time that day. Like, uh, let's just sit and talk today. What do you say? That really is another way for saying the teacher did not prepare. She had a party the night before. She came in at three in the morning, you know, yelling and hollering and drunk and three guys with her and the whole scene. And so now here it is, it's, it's uh, 11 o'clock the next day and uh, she didn't bring the papers and she forgot and left her assignment book home, the whole bit. And so <laughs> the kids love it. See? And I was sitting in there with Mrs. Mrs. Fife, was a very grim teacher. Uh, she was the teacher who had this hang-up on adverbs and gerunds. Uh, she she was the one who, who constantly nipped at my hocks about this business of, of uh, diagramming sentences. I became the greatest fake sentence diagrammer in the history of the Middle West. To my knowledge, I have never correctly diagrammed the sentence, but I could fake it. Uh, I made all these little lines hanging, and I wrote, <laughs> and, I, and I used to fake this. I, I, I never learned what, what all this diagramming jazz was about. And, and that was Miss Fife. She was a very grim teacher, that kind. She was always talking about parts of speech. Uh, she used to get, line us all up like she'd take two 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 uh, groups out of the class like she'd divide everybody from M to Z would stand over there and everybody from A to M would stand on the other side and they would have a parts of speech contest. Have you ever had that where she would uh, she would read out uh, uh, shout out a word like beautiful? All right, now what do you say? Is it an adjective? an adverb? Uh, it was it was it was a variation on the old spelling game. And so it was that, oh, I used to hate that. There's always, chicks knew all about gerunds and stuff and I'm always staying 30 seconds later I'm sitting in my seat. You, you, if you missed, you sat down, you know, I'm always sitting in my seat. And everybody else is battling it out. Well, that was the kind of teacher she was, until this day. Miss Fyfe says, I'm going to read to you. It was an English class, of course. She says, I'm going to read. It's not in our books or anything. I'm going to read a short story to you. and. Uh, Let's see, here it is. It's from one of my books i brought bought from home. I just happen to have it with me in my purse, and I'd like to read a short story. Now, all of you sit down. There's not going to be any questions asked on this. Nothing to do with assignment. It's just uh, for fun. All right. And she started to read. Now, at, at the beginning, she had this cracked old lady English teacher voice. You know, the kind that says, The wind blew out of the north, that kind of voice, the, the, the vaguely uh, Norman Vincent Peale preacherish voice. You know the kind of voice that so many uh, non-professional readers assume when they read? They, go, they read like this. The boy stood on the burning deck, a peck of apples in his hand. You know that kind of voice. <laughs> That's what's called the reading voice. Well, she starts out in this reading voice and all the guys are crying out loud. Well, this mood lasted for, I would guess, about a minute and a half until it began to soak in what she was reading about. She was reading about a man and a dog. And the man and the dog were in the frozen north and they were struggling to go somewhere. They were between something and somewhere. He was a a trapper or he was a prospector and he was with this great dog, a husky. And the wolves were howling in the woods all around him. And it was a story that, that not only grab you could have you heard, believe me, you could hear the trains howling four miles away in the classroom as she read this story. It was a Jack London story. How many of you remember a story like that? And the guy was freezing to death. He kept falling down and falling asleep. Do you recall that story? And the dog kept tugging at him, trying to wake him up and then he would drag himself forward and the dog would tug again and wake him up. Do you remember that story? What is the name of that story? I will award a brass fig with bronze oak-leaf palm if any victim of those particular stories is, is around and can remember it. The Frozen North and the story of that dog and that Jack London hero. Well, she read that story, and we sat there, and and you know our mouths, were, even the chicks were with it, and, and and you you could feel it because outside it was winter time, you could see the snow blowing out of the swamp there in Indiana, and and she read this story and kept reading it and reading it and reading it, and then I would say probably twenty minutes after she started to read. The bell rang. And that was the end of the class. And Mrs. Fife, I'll never forget what what a great what a great thing that, that lady did. Mrs. Fife said, well, she said, that's the end of the class. She said, I'm afraid that I just can't finish reading the story. (laughs) we were. This guy was about to freeze to death. And you could hear the the howling of the wolves. You could hear the wind screaming down out of the Arctic Circle. And Joshua up in the front, he said, yes, that's the name of it. That's exactly the name of it. That is the name of the story. The story is called Two Matches. He had two safety matches between himself between his life and death in the frozen north and with him with this was this great dog and at the end just as she's she's reading almost at the end of the story skip she's got the thing she's got the business with yes a little of that finlandia there that's right she's got she's he's he's down there hiding next to the dog he's trying to get out of the wind And he's got his last match. He's trying to get a fire started. He knew that if he didn't get this fire started, he couldn't possibly survive in that long Arctic night, his last match. And he strikes it. And that little tiny glow, the temperature 45 below zero, the great dark Arctic night stretching high over him, the flickering of the northern lights, and the distant baying of the advancing walls. And that tiny light flickered, flickered for just a moment. And then went out. What a story. And just as that light flickered out, far off somewhere down near the main office, we could hear, ah! the end of the class. And Miss Fife said, well, she says, uh, well, and you could see she was caught up in it too, you know. You could see she was just uh, all caught up in the story. And we all sat there for a minute, and you could hear all the crowd moving up and down that, that great hallway. And up, up above us, it's three stories of kids pouring up and down the staircases. And a couple of guys started to come in for the next class, and she says, Well, I guess uh, I won't be able to finish my favorite story. But uh, for those of you who want to finish it, and you'll find this in a volume of short stories down at the library. Well, I'll tell you this. There were 37 kids in that class. And she turned 37 kids on to reading. That was the, the, most, the most dramatic turn on. She, she believe me, she, she, she turned us on. And I suspect to this very day, there are 37, there are 36 other people who were in Miss Fife's class who are inveterate readers who remember that flame flickering in the Arctic wilderness, the sound of that sebellious music roaring through the eaves as little old Miss Fife, her girdle creaking, her rimless glasses glowing in the in the fluorescent lights of the classroom the blackboard behind her outlining her with the little chalk scribbles all over the parsed sentences the sentence diagrams drifting off down to the floor and up to that point that's what English had meant to us diagramming sentences gerunds Ivanhoe the lady of the lake oh boy And then all of a sudden, it meant something else. A man hiding next to a dog with the wind screaming out of the the black evergreens, slowly creeping up on him. And the faint, distant howling of the wolves as that last tiny match flickered up for an instant. See you tomorrow night for the last show of the new year. Raz and Rudy Toot, and there will be a Saturday at the Limelight.
0: What you uh, what you just heard there was Gene Shepard's show that was done live on WOR in New York City on December the 30th in 1965. Well, Chester is pointing at his wristwatch. Chester wears a great big wristwatch. He is telling me we're all out of time and to pack up our shows and carry them back into the vault. that's going to kick things in the head for another week we'll be back in two weeks we're going to do it all over again so do come back in the meantime if you just can't get enough of the shows we play go to my website theoldtimeradioshow.com theoldtimeradioshow.com you can listen to every show that we have ever played I think we've got it all the way up through um, February. I don't have the March shows on yet. Maybe we'll get it done by the time you listen to this. So we invite you over there and look forward to having you come and join us. All right, everybody. That's it. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me.